According to our guest today, some hospitals report spending anywhere from 20,000 to 200,000 hours over a six-month period to hammer out their budgets for the following year. And some of those budgets are scrapped after a few months because they've so inaccurately anticipated reality. There has to be a better way, doesn't there? Hello and welcome to DataPoint, the podcast where we focus on all the ways that data analytics and technology are driving innovation in healthcare today. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and our guest today is Elizabeth Kirk, the Senior Vice President of Strategic Services at Strata Decision Technology. After leading an initiative to trim $220 million from the operating budget of Northwestern Memorial Hospital in Chicago, Liz joined Strata to help change the way that hospitals forecast, plan, and budget. Join us as we talk about the impact of the pandemic on hospital budgets and the budgeting process, the next generation of AI and machine learning products being used to target and eliminate waste in their systems, and how upcoming regulatory changes and hospital pricing transparency will impact the marketplace. Don't miss this conversation with Strata Decision Technologies' Elizabeth Kirk. Liz, thanks so much for being with us on DataPoint today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Greg. This is a conversation I've been eager to have for a long time because I know we have some, uh, we have some connections. I know that uh, between Texas and Chicago, uh, we, we uh, have some overlap, I think, in our, in our careers and personal lives. So it's great to have you on the show. Yeah, yeah, it's fun how small worlds can collide. Exactly. So one of the things I like to do, Liz, is I want to give our listeners a sense of who you are. We're going to spend most of our time talking about your work and sort of where you see things going in the future. But I'd love to start off just with some some signposts that led you to the point you are today. Um, uh, yeah, give us, a, give us a little bit of background to, to paint some context in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I started my actually college career knowing that I wanted to grow up and be an executive in healthcare. Um, nothing magical. <laughs> my mom introduced me to the CEO of a hospital um, executive that was in her Sunday school class, and he went to Trinity University in San Antonio and was a hospital executive, and that's what I decided I was going to do. So I, I too would. When you said that, Liz, what'd you say? I thought you were kidding when you said that. I've never known anybody that wanted to grow up and be a hospital executive. No, it's weird. It's weird. But he seemed to be, you know, happy, liked his job, making a difference, lived in a nice house, kids well-adjusted. I thought that would be great. That does sound great. (laughs) So I went to Trinity in San Antonio um, with full intention to go into the healthcare executive management program after undergrad. Ended up going to University of Minnesota for the same uh, master's in healthcare administration and MBA. Um, after that, went into consulting at Deloitte Consulting in the healthcare practice, um, and then spent some time at GE Healthcare in a healthcare practice. Also at um, it's called R1 now, used to be a Creative Health. Um, but really, the moment happened when I started working at Northwestern Memorial um, here in Chicago, part of Northwestern Medicine, and I was brought in into a brand new role. Um, that was focused specifically on reducing cost and increasing revenue. And so my role was specifically to work between operations and finance, um, kind of be a translator, but also to really help identify opportunities for people and operations to reduce cost. 
So we did that for a couple of years, put a program in place, had people around the table talking about this and taking action. A couple of years into my role there, though, Northwestern started to see um, a little disruption in the top line data or the top line volume, um, as well as payers. This was back in uh, the Great Recession, 2009, 2010, right around the time of the ACA. Um, And so we went in a high gear on cost reduction. And rather than working with consultants, like almost every health system that I've worked with since um, does, they said, we have a lot of people who came from Deloitte and ENY and StockCamp at the time. Um, Internally, let's run this cost reduction internally. We think it'll go better. Um, So myself and several others worked closely with our um, COO and CFO and several of the uh, senior leaders and put together um, a broad and very ambitious cost reduction program related to mm-hmm. our budget season. Um, and over the course of about two years, we took out about $220 million. And wow. we're talking real money that hit the bottom line. Um, so pretty big deal there. I would say, wow, but that, that could be the subject for a podcast episode all by itself. But I guess I, I, as we as we talk through this, I'm really curious, are there sort of some key takeaways that you got from that experience? Not necessarily in terms of the specific, uh, you know, sort of places you made cuts, but there's so much that goes into that in terms of changing behavior, changing culture. Uh, I, I'd love to hear a little bit about sort of the, the experience of that. You know, you are exactly right, Greg. It is, um, it's not something that you can do easily. Um, The good news going into that was Northwestern is a very um, business savvy, uh, financially focused organization. Certainly, you know, very focused on high quality, great care as well, but they're definitely run like a business. So it wasn't a foreign concept to a lot of the leaders um, and department managers and directors to really have to buckle down and take out cost. In fact, it was um, we'd been so cost focused for so long that people were really at the point of saying, there's nothing left. You're cutting to the bone. How are we going to do this? Um, so the, the way that we did it um, is we put together a very programmatic approach to it. So senior leadership, sponsorship, Um, We had about 15 or so people um, working on my team who were partnering with different senior leaders and cross-functional operational groups. We had a timeline. um, You know, all of the groups had two weeks to brainstorm opportunities. We had three weeks to go out and get data and validate what the cost savings would be. Um, Every week we were meeting with the senior leadership team, thumbs up, thumbs down on specific opportunities. Um, And then once we decided thumbs up, it was now let's figure out how to operationalize this. This can't just be something that's a cut that comes right back in um, the next year. Um, And then from there, marched pretty quickly on operationalizing over about four or five months uh, to make sure we started the fiscal year with those improvements in place. Wow. Is it is it possible when I hear about things like that, I think, oh, my gosh, it must have driven the clinicians crazy. It must have disrupted the patient experience, um, you know, to, to undergo programs that are so ambitious. What was your experience there in terms of how it impacted sort of your key stakeholders? 
Well, you know, one of the things that we took a lot of care on was defining our guiding principles. So the things that we just absolutely knew had to come first, second, and third before reducing any cost. So um, highest quality care, highest patient satisfaction, highest employee satisfaction were things that were top on that list. And so as we would bring forward ideas and opportunities, we could always go back to those guiding principles and say, are we, will this help those top three principles or will it hurt them? And if it hurt them, they were immediately a thumbs down and off the table. Um, Yeah. And that is something I would really encourage organizations to do in starting out on something so ambitious is really get clear on those guiding principles. We also engaged our communications team um, and folks from HR early in the process. They were around the table with us in that planning process, um, knowing that there would be communication efforts out to all of the frontline staff and care providers and the physicians and potentially the community around this. Um, So we were very clear and crisp on how we message, what we message, when we message, um, et cetera, to really try to get ahead of some of those headaches that could otherwise come down the pike. People really do underestimate the importance of almost over-communicating when you're undergoing change initiatives of any kind. Yeah, you are exactly right. Um, And I find that often when initiatives are tend to be kind of finance focused or finance driven, as oftentimes cost reduction is, um, those are the things that get skipped right over. Um, You know, if you're implementing a new GL system or a new way for accounting for assets, sure, do it. Everybody will just kind of do what what you say to do because they have to. Um, But when it is something that can really touch, you know, thousands of people um, and could be sensitive if it gets out into the community, really, really got to take a, take a pause and get those things right. So that was, and I'm going to fast forward us a little bit here, Liz, because that, it sounds like an incredible experience to go through and one that wound up being not only successful, but I'm guessing is probably sort of a template for future activities that would, you'd be involved in. I know that for the last seven years, you've been working at Strata Decision Technology. Tell me a little bit about what drove that jump and sort of how you've taken that experience that you had, you know, from your consulting experience through your experience working with this really transformational effort at Northwestern into now uh, working at Strata. Yeah, absolutely. Um when I was finishing up the second year of that big budget takeout, a friend of a friend actually reached out to me and he had been engaged by Strata as an external consultant to help them chart their their path forward. Um, and that was after being bought by a PE firm. Um, so he and I went to lunch and he said, Strata's client base is health systems across the country. And every CFO that I have spoken to has to take out hundreds of millions of dollars in cost. And everybody is either struggling with doing internally or paying consultants millions and millions and millions of dollars to do this. And everybody's scratching their head because they're not really seeing dollars on the bottom line. How'd you do it? Um, So he and I talked extensively at lunch that day. Thankfully, it was a nice, lovely afternoon and we were sitting outside. And then he asked me to come to Strata to do a case study for the senior leadership team there. 
So I came in and sort of shared what we did at Northwestern and people around the table kept asking questions and they would say, so what tool did you use to do that? And I would say, Excel. And they would say, no, 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 no. Like what software did you use? And I'm like, PowerPoint? Um, And so sort of quickly got to the root of that, that there wasn't and really still isn't um, much out there that really helps organizations not only find cost savings opportunities, but also helps them run um, and be kind of the backbone for these types of initiatives that need to go on. Um, so as you can imagine from there, um, started kind of dating, if you will, with Strata, getting to know them, them getting to know me, and then about six months later, joined the team with the specific charge of bottle what you did at Northwestern. What can we do from a software perspective to make it easier so it's not just crunching data in Excel all day long um, mm-hmm. to make it more successful so there's accountability, there's transparency, um, and to make it something that health systems really of any size um, can do themselves for pennies on the dollar compared to what they're paying for big-time consulting firms. Sure, absolutely. And I guess I'm, I'm really curious now I would imagine that being able to apply the kinds of technology that you're talking about enables a lot more uh, sort of nimbleness and, uh, you know, closer to real time sort of decision support. And I'm curious what you're seeing, you know, having going through, like gone through, going through uh, the pandemic, uh, you know, different hospitals have been affected so differently through that process. How do you see the customers that you're working with you know, able to navigate that, what's it been like uh, for them? Yeah, it's been, it has been um, quite a year. Um, You know, a number of the health system CFOs and and leaders in finance that I've spoken with, they say, you know, this is a career defining moment for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Not only is it incredibly, you know, just fascinating, Um, what health systems are having to do to, you know, prepare for COVID, to respond to COVID, to treat patients well, um, but to also be able to make payroll um, at the end of the day. And it is, it has been just, um, it has been a journey this year to say the least. Mm -hmm. Um, So at Strata, what we do is we have software sits all on one platform, all on one data set that helps organizations do their long-range strategic planning, their current year budget or budget planning, their budget variance and uh, reporting around that. Um, We we have cost accounting data within that platform. Some organizations use that cost accounting data to feed their planning. And then we have our continuous improvement solutions that sit on top of that cost accounting data um, that use algorithms to identify opportunities for cost savings and then have the workflow around it. Um, with COVID, the thing that has gotten just has completely accelerated the shift in paradigm that we have been seeing is how organizations plan. Um, mm-hmm. so I'd mentioned when I was talking about Northwestern that we did this big, you know, $200 million cost takeout in our budget season. And right. most health systems have had these big, heavy, six-month, nine-month budget seasons that go on. And it, you know, they're working with manager, frontline managers and imaging and nursing and 
so on and so forth to, you know, project out what they think the volume is going to be, what they think expenses are going to be, where they can cut, um, et cetera. And then all that has to come back together in the one budget they deliver to the board. Uh And what we have found um, is, and this was before COVID, but you put all this effort into the budget and then within a month or two or, or a quarter of your fiscal year in normal years, that budget doesn't make sense anymore. Um, you know, things have changed in the environment or with your payers or your volume or physicians. Um, so a number of organizations had started to move to what we call dynamic planning. So it's basically you create a lighter weight, higher level forecast for your year. And then like most for-profit businesses, you revisit that every month and adjust it accordingly rather than managing to a budget target. Now you have KPIs, key performance indicators that people can really drive and be accountable to. And it really becomes more of a performance-based culture than a budget-based culture. So before COVID, about we have about 150 so organizations that do their budgeting and planning with us. And about 30% of them um, were doing dynamic planning or moving towards that. Um, I would say late March, our phone started ringing off the hook or, you know, email boxes filling up, if you will, um, with clients saying, it's time. We're ready to move to a dynamic plan. We can't put all of this energy and effort into a budget that we don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the process you described sounds like a, a huge uh, cost burden in and of itself uh, in terms of the spending of time and resource on a, a process that, you know, will yield results only for a few months before it has to be recast, right? Yeah, you are exactly right. In fact, we actually ask organizations that um, before they make the move to dynamic planning, how much time goes into the budget. And we will hear anywhere from, you know, we'll kind of ask them to back of the envelope that map, mm-hmm. anywhere from 20,000 hours a year to 100 to 200,000 hours a year. And that's not your frontline people providing care. That's your managers, that's your directors, that's your VPs, that's your senior leadership. Mm-hmm. Um And people kind of take their eye off the ball every year when they're in this, what feels kind of like an annual fight. Um, Do you have any sense, and this may be an unfair question even to ask, but when you move to a dynamic planning model, any sense of what that gets reduced down to? Yeah, we see those numbers go down by 80 or 90%. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's incredible. (laughs) But things that would be possible unless you had access to the right data and the tools to be able to draw intelligence from it, right? Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, There's a big undertaking around, actually less big now that we've done it a lot, because you kind of know where the pitfalls are, but, you know, an undertaking around the process and designing that. Um, A little bit of configuration of the tools, but where we find that we spend the most time in helping organizations to be successful with this is really on the education of those frontline managers and directors and VPs that are accustomed to living and dying by a budget variance. Um, How do you get really people to really uh, become more kind of business savvy and focusing on the things that matter like labor expense per unit of service rather than FTEs per unit of service? You can yes. reduce your FTEs per unit of service all day long, but if they're all contract or overtime, you have just killed it financially. 
like killed yep. it bad <laughs> in the wrong yeah. direction. Exactly. All right. We are actually going to use this opportunity to take a quick break, but we are going to be right back with Liz Kirk. So stick around. And we are back on Data Point. I'm your host, Greg Matthews. We're talking today with Liz Kirk from Strata Decision Technology. Liz, when we went into the break, we were talking a little bit about how uh, organizations are starting to move to a very, very different kind of planning and budgeting process. It doesn't take much to think that the, the companies that were already using that kind of dynamic planning model uh, were able to react more effectively to COVID. I guess I'm curious now, knowing that, you know, sort of the, the earth has shaken under hospitals and health systems for the last six months. Um, we are, you know, dealing with issues of, you know, more and more value-based care coming into play. There are some new uh, pricing regulations that are going to be coming into play. Tell me about some of the things that you're seeing now in terms of cost reduction. How are hospitals thinking about it? It's probably more important than ever with all of that uncertainty that I just described. What are you seeing out there in terms of the sort of the key trends in terms of being able to manage costs effectively? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, when it comes to cost reduction, it really is starting to feel like they're the haves and the have-nots um, in this space. And you know, certainly you could think about that with um, what organizations' margin and payer mix and everything looks like. But really, I think about it a little, a lot more narrow than that. Those that have um, good, trusted, accurate, accessible cost data that they can use to dive deep and understand what's driving cost and then take action on that. And the have-nots are the ones that have kind of last generation, if you will, cost accounting data. So they don't trust their cost accounting data. Um, they hold it very close to the vest, meaning only finance looks at it, and they're not getting it out to managers, directors, or even physicians because they know they're going to get holes poked in it because it's not trustworthy. And when mm -hmm. I think about that, it comes down to, can I show, and I'll just say a physician, you know, can I show a physician my cost data? And the physician goes, yeah, that makes sense. What you just showed me reflects what I see day in and day out with my eyeballs in the OR or on the floor, or, oh no, no chance. You're telling me that that person's case is more expensive um, than this other person's case, but I know that the lower cost person you're telling me is lower cost actually is using a physician assistant, not a nurse, um, is using these higher cost expensive implants, not the lower cost ones. You know, it just doesn't make sense. And that, that's really, I think, what a lot of um, organizations are striving to do is get good, accurate, trusted cost data that they can then use to drive change in the organization. And if you can't meet that minimum threshold of trusted data, forget it. Um, it's hard to really advance a conversation beyond that. Is that something that only the big guys can do, though, Liz? I mean, is that where the dividing line is? Either, you know, if you want to have good cost data, be big, or is it more complicated than that? No, 
Um, it actually isn't that at all. Um, we are doing what we would call advanced cost accounting um, with organizations, some of them single bed hospital or single um, site hospitals that have 100 beds. Um, wow. Really the magic of it. So if we think talk about kind of last gen cost accounting, it was basically just an exercise in math. You have your GL, uh, your general ledger that reflects all of the expenses in the organization. And then you have your charge data that's patient level, charge level detail. Um, and kind of the old way is just to take the GL and spread it using some kind of um, uh, allocations to the patient level, charge level detail. Um, and then that's where you get into that sort of funny math where you know that brand A is much more expensive than brand B of an implant um, or a drug. But in your cost accounting data, it says they're the same. Well, it's really hard to have real conversations when that's the case. So what we do, whether organizations are huge um, or whether organizations are small, is that we can bring in supply acquisition cost. We can bring in um, drug discounts. So if they have 340B, um, if they're working with a group purchasing organization, we can bring in timestamps and then crosswalk that with payroll so we can actually know who's in an OR case, how much they make per hour, how long they were in a case. So you can get really specific um, with that cost data. And then when you can lay algorithms on top of that to look for variation in care and variation in cost. Now you can get very specific to be able to say, wow, it looks like um, this particular, uh, well, let's say within our orthopedic physicians, um, almost all cases are using IV Tylenol, costs 30 bucks a pop for a dose of IV Tylenol. Whereas we, if we look at another service line surgical cases, they're using oral Tylenol. It costs 30 cents a dose. Mm -hmm. So if you look at that across your system, IV Tylenol can be costing you a million dollars, let's say. Um, and it's something that, you know, the orthopedic surgeons have no idea that they're getting um, IV Tylenol on their cases. The anesthesiologists are kind of saying, well, this is what was in the order set when we built Epic 10 years ago. That's what we're using. And you look at the clinical research and the clinical research says, use oral all day long, unless you can't, right? Unless a patient can't sure. take or tolerate, tolerate IV Tylenol. But to be able to have that granularity of data and algorithms that sit on top of that to find these things is incredibly powerful. Um, and what we often find is that when you bring these things forward, it's just that, what I was describing with IV Tylenol. People go, I had no idea. One, that this was happening. And I had no idea that the cost differential was so huge. And how would they? It's, yeah. it's crazy. Exactly. How would they? So different from when I was doing this at Northwestern, where our, and this was a long, you know, it was 10 years ago now, where our, our cost data was the magical allocations. Um, we would fight over the data for six months before you could ever do anything. And then we'd probably lose steam and forget about it and go on to the next thing. Whereas now you bring that data and all in one sitting, you can get to, okay, these are the actions that we need to take. So that ability to find and then drive out hundreds of millions of dollars of cost is so much easier 
when you can automate 85% of the math that needs to go into this um, and then spend much more time driving action. Whereas when I was doing this the hard way, we were spending 85% of our time doing math and maybe 15% of our time driving action. So we're really trying to kind of flip that equation. It sounds like a really a win for everybody. Um, yeah. Because I, I've got to believe, and you haven't said this explicitly, but I got to believe that it also allows an institution to say, you know, where we are doing something more expensive, we want to make sure that it has a equivalent value on the other end, that, you know, it improves the patient experience, that it improves the patient outcome, you know, whatever it might be, rather than it's a complete throwaway. Yeah. Yeah, you are exactly right. Um, so often um, people have the, and I think it's just kind of a natural reaction. Well, if we reduce cost, what's that going to do to quality? Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually find the exact opposite, that oftentimes the lower cost thing to do is better quality. I'll give you an example. Um, with a large health system we've been working out, we found that um, one physician doing uh, major bowel procedures has a length of stay of about a day and a half and has virtually zero readmissions. Um, So lower cost, um, very high quality care. And then we look at all of the other physicians doing the same procedure. And it was about a three, four, five day length of stay kind of all over the map. And when you look at the physician with a one day length of stay, or the one and a half day length of stay, they're doing the same thing almost every time with those patients. But looking at the pre-op testing, um, what they do when they're um, coming in on the day of surgery, what they're using in surgery, what drugs they're using, what PT they're doing afterwards um, to get them up and walking and get them discharged. Much better outcomes than what we were seeing with the other physicians where we had higher readmissions, we had higher um, quality incidents with those cases. Um, And now this health system is saying, how do we take what this one physician is doing and bring the other physicians on board? This is clearly better for the patient and it will reduce several million dollars in cost by doing the right thing. It must feel like magic when you can bring that kind of a solution to the table. (laughs) Yeah, it. it is. It is fun to see that happen. So we are in the waning moments here, Liz, of this conversation. I wanted to ask you quickly about uh, an event that's happening shortly in the new year as we roll into 2021. There are some new regulations that are coming into play relative to pricing uh, for hospitals. Can you talk a little bit about what's going to happen and where you see some of the implications of that? Well, first off, Everybody thought this was going to get postponed um, with everything going on in COVID. So we saw people very eager um, in the beginning of the year. And then not until the last, I would say, month or even six weeks have people sort of said, yeah, writing's on the wall. This is actually happening with some different rulings that have come down. Um, The key thing is, is that health systems need to be able to post Um, shoppable pricing for about 300 services, um, as well as their entire charge master. So basically their price list of everything that they do. Um, And this is something organizations are really concerned about um, because everybody knows healthcare pricing is challenging. Um, What we are working with organizations on is really helping to make that pricing defensible so in, in some 
uh, pretty clear approach, being able to link it back to the cost um, so that things like oral Tylenol, um, you don't find your way on the front of the newspaper by having that, you know, $100 a dose, for example, when everybody knows it's really, really cheap. Um, So again, we can use algorithms and mine the data very quickly to be able to find where those risk points are, um, where pricing is very clearly out of line with cost. Um, But then we can also start to bring in, you know, where are your higher margin services? And maybe let's use those um, to make shoppable so that you can continue to drive volume in those areas. Um, Or where are some of the areas that, um, you know, you, you're not really comparable with the market. Um, And that's okay. But let's understand where you sit in relation to the market. And we also bring in payer contracts. So let's understand if you increase your prices a little bit here and decrease them there based on your actual contracted terms, what's going to happen to your bottom line or to your revenue um, as a result of that. So really bring the power of all of this data in one place on a platform and then laying algorithms on top of it is incredibly game-changing from what so many organizations are doing kind of uh, trying to do all of this in Excel or do it in kind of a piecemeal way. Oh, so, yeah. oh my gosh, yeah. it was so overwhelming. Yeah. I, Liz, I could honestly talk about this stuff for hours. I have about 95 questions that I didn't have a chance to ask today, but um, I, I know that you need to get back to your real life. Uh, and I, I just want to tell you, I'm so grateful for you being here to spend the time with us today. I think our listeners are really going to... Um, enjoy learning from your experience. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah. And thank you for having me. This was fun. Absolutely. If people want to learn more about you or the work that you're doing at Strata Decision Technology, what's the best thing for them to do? Yeah. Easiest way is probably just to go onto our website, stratadecision.com. Folks can also shoot me an email if they want. It's just ekirk at stratadecision.com. Pretty basic. Fantastic. Fantastic. And if you're driving while you're listening to this, don't try, don't crash your car. I'll make sure that all the links are in our show notes. So Liz, thanks again for being here. Have a great day and we will see you next time on DataPoint. Thanks so much for listening to the DataPoint podcast. If you like what you've heard, please do rate, review, and share it with your social network. It means a lot. And if you have ideas for show topics or guests, please email them to me at greg at healthquant.health or send a direct message to at Chai Moose on Twitter. That's C-H-I-M-O-O-S-E on Twitter. For more information about this show or any of the terrific healthcare podcasts in the Touchpoint Media Network, check them out at touchpoint.health. See you next time.